God is an initiator. This is a beautiful thing about God. He initiates. And one of the glories of the church is to respond to what he initiates. And it's one of the glories of our life is to be those who respond when he initiates. We rightly respond to what he initiates. And so last year we experienced an initiating work of God in the midst of our community, Christ the Reconciler, um, in which he brought to us uh, somewhat unexpectedly a message of about reconciliation. Um, and it was very beautiful and it's been, had a profound impact on many of us. Uh, but I think the impact is only beginning. Uh, what happened last year was an initiating of God. It was sovereign. It was really, I feel, sovereign. Um, so, we're taking time this year to respond. Now, how are we doing that? In many ways. But one of them is, we've taken the retreats for this year, and uh, Amy and I did a lot of speaking last year, because God gave this message to us. But we're really excited about opening up the retreats this year more for different members of the community to respond to the message that God brought us regarding hostility and reconciliation. Um, and so we hope to hear from many, because there's many gifted teachers in our community. Um, and so we're happy to let them come and bring the word of the Lord to us. And we hope to also have some response from people outside our community who come in um, as well. So this morning, we're privileged to hear the first of those responses from inside our community. And I'll let Amy introduce our esteemed speaker. So uh, there's some new faces here today. Welcome. Thanks for driving all the way out here for your blessed today. So Christ the Reconciler is, and its name is a, is a community and ministry devoted to, um, to Christ, to to formation and the inner person, the image of Christ, looking for his return, and and we feel a special call to prayer for reconciliation among the divided streams of, of the body of Christ. And one, um, one way that played out in my personal life is about 16 years ago, I, uh, I felt the Lord leading me into the Catholic Church. And as part of my initiation process, I had to take a class for several months. Um, and I had been a Christian all of my life at that point, but there were people in my class who did not know the first thing about their faith at all. It was a really wonderful and humbling experience. And I remember the class that we took on the Bible. There were people in my class who had never opened a Bible. They really did not know how the Bible worked. So we watched a video explaining that the scripture was the story of, of, of God's work in mankind. The Old Testament was the story of um, his calling, his work among the Jewish people, and the New Testament was the story of the coming of Jesus and the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles. And then the teacher went on to say, and then there's a third testament, and that testament is God's story at work in you. And the poor girl sitting in front of me just fled through her Bible. I cannot find this third testament. <laughs> and um, and though you know, I 
I would never, um, never dare to suggest that our stories hold the authority of scripture. It is true that God continues to write his story um, through our lives and in our lives. And it is also true that um, we read scripture through the lens of our experience with God. And we experience, we read our own stories through the lens of scripture. And we come to know each other, not just through scripture, but we come to know each other through one another. And I say it's one of the greatest, the greatest joys and gifts of my life that we've been able to walk with Philip and Caroline for many, many years. They have been a testament of God's goodness, grace, graciousness, faithfulness, and we, anyway, I am very, very excited that you're going to get to read from the Testament of Caroline Owens this morning. <laughs> Um, I want to say one thing, first of all, that has nothing to do with my talk, and is I would like to say happy birthday to oh, this young woman yeah. who loves being the center of attention. Guys. I want to zoom out a little bit to, I'm crying already, Davis, I'm sorry. Davis, Davis is filming me and he said I was not allowed to cry today. But, uh, I want to zoom out a little bit to the three young women who turned 21. Mm -hmm. You are the oldest, my my girl. Yes. Not the least of which is my redhead here. And um, I want to say to all three of you, Peggy through the plant, <laughs> that you are a beautiful testimony of the grace of God. And I love you and I'm proud of you. You guys were the avocados before there were avocados. <laughs> You're the forerunners of the avocados. And you are beautiful young women. And I praise God for what he has in store for you. Yeah. We bless you. Everybody throw your hand over there and say, we bless you. We do. Um, welcome, new people. You're about to find out more about me, about me than... Maybe you should know. <laughs> <laughs> should know. Actually, I was talking to Lissa before this, and I said, there, there are elements to this that Amy doesn't know. There are elements to this that my kids certainly don't know, and elements that maybe even Philip didn't know. Just the you know, thoughts that I had in that, because I'm a very introverted person. And um, I, don't, I, I don't show my cards. But when I thought about teaching, and Thomas and Amy approached me about teaching, this was the first thing that came to mind. And this is a, a thread through my own story and my own life about suffering. And I want to commend you, by the way, for the content of your character <laughs> to spend your Saturday to go to a retreat on suffering. <laughs> wow, you are, you are wonderful people. Um, you don't just skim the surface, apparently. So I praise God for you. Um, <laughs> it is the truth. Um, but I, I knew what the Lord wanted me to talk about. And it's a very painful part of my history. Um, I know some of you have suffered more than I have. 
Um, but this story is not just my story. I feel like this is a story for our community. This is our story. Um, the details of your life are different, but we are, we are one body. Yeah. And when one suffers, we all suffer. Mm -hmm. And our sufferings together form a testimony to the greatness of God. Yeah. And so I share this um, deeply personal story with you because this is your story also. This is not exclusive to me, even though the details are obviously um, mine. And uh, I have to say that because this is a narrative, per personal narrative, I'm going to read a lot of it, which is not my typical thing and not what I like to do, but hopefully you'll release me to, to read. <laughs> um, I'm happy that uh, four of my kids are here. Um, Sam and Bethany and Christopher and Davis. Um, I have six children, but in reality, I have 17 children. And I'm here to tell you about the 11 others that helped me reconcile to God through my suffering, and they continue to do so. I'm, my story starts in 1997, February of 1997, which is, you know, exactly 19 years ago. I was 29 years old. I had two beautiful children, uh, Bethany, and, Bethany and Davis, and I loved my babies. I loved my life. I was pregnant with our third child. Philip and I were worship leaders at our church, and the renewal movement was going on at that time, and so some wonderful and crazy things were happening around us, for those of you who are around at that time. And then things, things shifted. One night in February of that year, during worship practice, I started bleeding. I lost the baby on March the 1st. And we named her Chaley, which means, which is a Latin word for belonging to heaven. And by the way, if you've had a miscarriage, I don't know how many ladies in here have experienced this, or heaven forbid if that should happen, I would, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to name the baby. Don't get caught up in gender and, and all of that. Name the baby because that really brings a closure to the reality of that grief. So that's just for you to file somewhere. Then it happened again that same year on August the 15th. And it was not less difficult the second time around. Prior to this time in my ignorance, I had not taken very seriously the pain of, of that loss of miscarriage. I just thought, well, you didn't really see the baby, you didn't hold the baby, you didn't bond with the baby, you know. When I witnessed it in a couple of other people I knew, but I was wrong. <laughs> there is a real loss there, and I was very sad. A note to self, I'm gonna sprinkle these throughout. When your friend is grieving, your very self is the best you can give. Philip was working just unbelievably at that time, and he could not go with me to the clinic when I had this sonogram. And um, Amy went with me, and she kept silence in the car on her seemingly very long ride home, and that spoke volumes to me because she respected my dignity. 
The following year, in 1998, Amy and I went to a women's prophetic conference. And I have to put, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> I have to put a footnote on this. You really need to witness Amy Michelle Cobdell at a prophetic conference. <laughs> it is a sight to behold. You can ask her about that over lunch. I went to one session. We were in different sessions. You were doing something else in another session. But I went to one session. And the speaker, Jill Austin, you know, there are hundreds of women in the room. And Jill Austin was speaking, if you've ever heard of Jill Austin. And I actually met you, Sandy, at the, in 1997 at the Prophetic Conference. Very cool, I remember that. But anyway, Jill Austin is speaking, and I'm like way in the back, you know. And she, and she starts speaking prophetically over the crowd. And she points. And if you've ever been in a prophetic conference, and you get a word, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I was way back there. But I mean, it might as well have been, you know, this. And she said, you're pregnant with the purposes of God. You know, Whoa. but I mean, when she said you're pregnant, it was like spontaneous combustion, you know. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. And I had not thought I was literally pregnant. But then I went home, and sure enough, sure enough, I was. And... Um, I want, you, I want you to hear this too. I, I, this is another note to self. The Lord of the universe knows your name. Everyone in this room, he knows your name. People in our culture, people outside of our culture, would give their lives to know a president, to know a dignitary, to know a celebrity. God Almighty knows your name, and he loves you. And like, he knew I was in that crowd that day, he knows you're here, and he loves you, and he calls you by name. So I went home, and I was, took a pregnancy test, and I was pregnant. And this is just a, this is a bunny trail, but this is just such a funny story, I have to tell it. So the month before I had the baby, this was in November, I had to call Blue Cross Blue Shield to add the baby to my policy. Do you remember this story? This is funny. <laughs> so I'm on the phone, and I said, um, can you tell me, I finally get somebody, you know, I'm on hold for 30 minutes or whatever, can you tell me what I need to do to add this baby to my policy? And the lady says, the first thing I want you to do is praise the Lord. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, I thought I was calling healthcare megacorp, but you know, it's like, and I'm like, Okay, and, and I had, and, and I, had I, I was under the care of a midwife, and midwives don't typically do sonograms unless there's a detected, some kind of problem, you know, going on. Right. And so I had no idea of the gender or anything. And so anyway, she says, I need to praise the Lord first. <laughs> then she said, and then after he is born, did you get that? He is born. And I had this lady prophesied the gender of my child, you know, on the phone. And it's just one of those hilarious, you know, God has that kind of sense of humor with you sometimes. So anyway, a month later, I had this guy right here, my little, my little boy, my little boy. Actually, he was never little, was he, Philip? No. <laughs> and I renamed him Samuel, which means the Lord hears, because I felt like Hannah... And the scripture, the Lord heard her in her grief and gave her Samuel. So now we fast forward a little bit. This is 2003. 
Philip and I had always had on our heart to uh, foster and, and adopt children after we had a few biological children. And after Sam was born, it seemed that the time had begun to do just that. And we adopted our sweet baby, Christopher. Who's <laughs> <laughs> now a sweet middle schooler. <laughs> um, in September 2002, and many things just seemed to be falling in place. Our family now numbered six. Philip had his dream job as a full-time worship leader, and we were excited about the days ahead. But again, things changed, as they frequently do. Philip was laid off from his job the following spring, and our future was suddenly unclear. It was in this time of you know, what seemed to be total instability that the Lord spoke to me perhaps the strongest word he ever had up until that time, or even perhaps since then. I was playing the piano in Philip's office. This was towards the end of his uh, job. And the Holy Spirit came on me so strongly, I literally almost fell off the piano bench. And he said very distinctly to me that he wanted me to bear in my body a fifth child. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I didn't want to do it. The truth is that I'd moved on, you know, from the idea of childbirth. And after two losses, felt that Samuel was redemptive. And so I didn't want to be pregnant again, ever. Ever. But, as he's famous for being the hound of heaven, the Lord pursued me. And have you ever noticed that whenever you try to dodge the leading of the Lord, boy, he starts galloping. You know, and, and when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, write this down. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gang up on you, as they are wont to do, you're not going to win. <laughs> okay. So not, not long after that, I was at a women's retreat, and the, the church secretary came up to me. And this breaks all the prophetic protocol rules, supposedly, but she came up to me and she said, Caroline, you know, she's, I'm probably on the floor, you know, prostrators in there. She's like, Caroline, I feel like the Lord wants you to have another baby. And I'm like, oh. Oh, no, no, yeah. And then, and then another occasion, my friend Kathy Kanuski was making a song list for church. She was a worship leader. And she said, Caroline, I sense that tonight's hymn is for you. And I'm like, what is, what is it, Kathy? Lead on, O King Eternal, hymn number 555. And I'm like, okay. Again, this child. Then... Shortly around that time, I was at Central Market, <laughs> and I was driving around the parking lot, and I was just wrestling with God, wrestling with God, you know, doing my tantruming or whatever. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, I'm driving around the parking lot, and I pull up behind this moped or scooter or whatever you call them now, and the license plate said 555R4U. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like a comedy movie. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know. So, wow. note to self, I was at a point of decision. It was abundantly clear to me what God was saying. And as bad as I am about thinking beyond the immediate, what's right in front of my face, I want to have deathbed perspective. What would this decision look like from the end of my life? 
do I have the right to refuse him? To determine where I go, what I do, even how many children I have? When I stand before the Lord of glory, how am I going to answer him? So, I acquiesced. And my running plan at that time was to have a baby very soon, as soon as possible. And I'm just that kind of personality type. Once the decision is made, I want to do it. You know, I want to implement it right now and get it done. You know, especially this. I'm like, okay, let's do it right now. So things, however, did not go the way I'd planned. By two years later, I was on my third miscarriage since I'd heard the voice of the Lord. This was number five total. Baby Faith was born on June the 3rd, 2005. With that name, I was communicating to myself and anyone else that this was an act of faith, even though the results could not be understood. We had a little service of burial. Sorry, Davis. <laughs> Under the spreading post oak tree in our front yard. It was the first time, I think, that Bethany and Sam really engaged in what was going on. And I hurt for both of them. Six months later, on December 29th, 2005, I had a dream. I dreamt that I went to a small house or shop, which was a store for Eastern medicinal herbs, herbs, Caroline, herbs and nutrition. <laughs> the owners were Christians, but they did have a few items which were a little strange. I didn't really see anything I was interested in, so I walked out the front door down the side of the building towards the back where the parking lot was. I looked up and saw a man walking the same direction down the side of the house, but he was going inside the back door. Intuitively, I knew that he was one of the guest speakers or pastors that the shop hosted to preach or give Christian lectures. After intently staring at him for a few seconds and he at me with a deep knowing look, I said, he's not a man. He is an angel. And he looked right at me and he said, you need to really watch the next eight minutes because it's birthing time. And I knew that minutes was not minutes. I knew that that meant months. So I took a pregnancy test. I was getting used to doing this. <laughs> and sure enough, my due date was the last day of eight months. Need to watch the next eight minutes because it's birthing time. A fairly clear word about having a baby. I lost the baby on Valentine's Day 2006. Shortly after this, on March the 6th, the scripture became alive to me. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, this is Psalm 73. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I felt so much like a failure. I was failing to obey the Lord and successfully bringing forth another baby because my own body was betraying me and I was losing all heart. The pain was enormous. Am I crazy? 
Is this real? Can I not hear the voice of the Lord? On June the 27th, I went to a meeting at St. Louis Catholic Church. I'd been Catholic for, for three weeks. And there was, a prophetic, there was a prophetic minister there named Alan Ames. And this was like the weirdest collision of worlds I had ever encountered. <laughs> because he, he, was give, he gave his message about healing and deliverance. And then, you know, at the end of it, people are lining up at the front. And he has a St. Benedict cross, if you know what that is. It's a particular um, rendition of a crucifix. And he's just holding it. You know, above people's heads and going down, and people are just falling, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, where am I? I mean, this is like a Blue Cross Blue Shield call. It's like, where am I? You know, we've just had mass, and now people are falling down everywhere. It's just very funny. But after he gave, it was wonderful. After he gave his talk, um, he, he, gave, he started giving prophetic words, words of knowledge to the people in the, in the crowd. And this is the first prophetic word that he gave. He said, there's a woman here who's struggling to have a baby. No, I'm sorry. There's a woman here who's struggling to have another baby. The Lord says to you not to worry. You will have another baby, maybe two. Yikes. <laughs> you just need to take the Eucharist. It was an encouragement to be in communion. And again, spontaneous combustion. Boom, you know, it's like, boom. And I knew, I knew it was, that word was for me. Now, I took a, Philip was there, and we took another friend with us, and this is not, this is not Amy, I need to clarify. She heard the word, but wanted to caution me against swallowing it whole, because I was just like, oh my gosh, that was for me, you know, and it encouraged me. Um, but she wanted to caution me against that, because she had seen the struggle I had, I was concerned about whether I was exercising wisdom. She didn't want me to keep going. And this is just to, to contemplate, for us to contemplate, for me to contemplate. I want to always be careful in discerning the voice of the Lord for myself and for others. Because the words we speak have significant power. And I'm so grateful that Philip was enormously supportive to me and did not contest my conviction of what God has spoken. After that meeting, there were four more miscarriages from mid-2006 to 2009. By this time, efforts to become pregnant wasn't really efforts anywhere. It was more like allowing myself to maybe become pregnant. had become fearful and half-hearted. I didn't want to close off the possibility entirely, but I was far from pursuing it. Being pregnant put me under a lot of stress. Every cramp, every twinge, every sensation in my body that indicated <coughs> something was awry <clears throat> made me worry. I was in a dark, dry place spiritually. I was in pain. I was confused, wondering if God was angry with me, if I really couldn't hear his voice, if in my failure to do the will of God, he was somehow finished with me. During this time, I had many tests run to try to discern what the problem was. Everything came back inconclusive, and my doctor's comment to me was, I guess you're just too old to have more children. That wasn't exactly news to me. <laughs> I was distraught. 
And I want to pause here to consider uh, to consider an episode in the life of Elijah and how the Lord deals with Elijah in a specific situation. And we all remember the the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and God sent the fire and woo we got the, we got the victory you know and, and and Elijah man I mean he he brought the yeah he brought the fire you know I mean the Lord sent fire it's, I mean major major victory and what happened Jezebel threatened him and he ran for his life and he was depressed. He was yeah. a depressed guy. He was suicidal, if you want to use that word. He said, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than anybody else. And this is after victory. I want to clarify. I want to make sure we're getting that. And how did, how did the Lord respond? Where's your attitude of gratitude? Did you see what I just did back there? Get your prophetic carcass out of the sand and hit the road, man. Get back to work. He didn't. Elijah had fallen asleep under a tree. And the Lord sent an angel to feed him. Yes. And then he let Elijah go back to sleep again. And the Lord sent an angel again to feed him. (coughs) Then he went on to encounter the Lord in the softness of a whisper. This is critical for us to understand. It is critical for us to understand this is, this is a time when the scripture about the Lord not snuffing out a smoldering wick or breaking a bruised reed came alive to me. I didn't even know what that verse meant. I thought, oh, that's nice, you know. What does that mean? You know, I don't know what that means. But I think sometimes we, we think of the Lord in these terms. Weakness. I detest weakness. You know, he was weak, so I had to crush him. You know, I mean, I think we think of the Lord in those terms. And it's wrong. I'm not talking about rebellion or, you know, I'm talking about in our weakness, how tenderly the Lord deals with us. His heart is for us. Now, he didn't let Elijah stay under the tree forever. Okay, so I'm not advocating this keel over, you know, and give up. He didn't let him stay there, but he tended to him. And I want to say also in our community, let's be tender with each other in our times of trial, in our times of weakness, in our times of wounding, reconciling to God through one another's sufferings in our community is a holy exercise as well. Okay, so here we go. October 2009. I was pregnant again, guys. (laughs) Surprise! And I had a doctor's appointment for something I had learned to deeply dread, the first sonogram of pregnancy. I had a sneaking suspicion that my doctor, Lida, was tired of seeing me in her office for the same reason and with the same result. And to be honest, I was tired of being there for the same reason and with the same result. But this time, her eyes widened and she practically shouted, we've got it. There was a heartbeat. I couldn't believe it, and Lida couldn't either. She was jumping around the room repeating, we've got it, we've got it. Six and a half months later, on May 11th, Daniel Thomas was born. When the hospital staff was sewing me up on the operating table, Lida told them, this is a God baby. 
God told her to have this baby, and she had miscarriage after miscarriage, but she held on. We prayed and prayed. I wasn't sure of what she was doing, but he came through. Our sufferings can bring glory to the Father. Amen. And it continues. And when Daniel Thomas was just 11 months old, I found out I was pregnant again. This was a big surprise. My thought was, I just went through all that with Daniel. <laughs> I thought it was done. That was it. You know, woo, we're done. But just because Daniel was born, I was no less nervous about losing another baby. Not only did I have a long history of miscarriages, but I was now about to turn 44, which in itself heightens the risk of miscarrying. I had, a new, I had an appointment with a new doctor, and Amy went with me. And you know you show up a lot in this story. And you know what? That's the beauty of community. We need to show up a lot in each other's stories, you know? Because we share this together. So Amy went with me. And it took him a long time to get a heartbeat. I'll tell you what, I think Amy was more nervous than she was like in the chair, in the chair in the room, like in this fetal position kind of thing. I was trying to joke with him, and she was just all curled up. But he found the heartbeat of a baby due on Christmas Day. And Abigail Catherine was born on December 19, 2011. I couldn't have been happier, and neither could the kids. Her sister. A sister, yay! <laughs> she was, she's been, she was the queen among savages for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's that time that she showed <laughs> But in spite of all of this, I had this apprehension that the Lord was still not done. And the thought made me positively nauseous. In my heart, I said a resounding, no, no, do not ask this of me, no, no, no. But yet again, the Lord pursued, culminating in the AHOP retreat in Caldwell. Do y'all remember going to Caldwell? A few times. George Miley was speaking, and the Holy Spirit was absolutely hammering me. I mean, I thought I was going to suffocate. I really did. And after the talk, I went outside because I'm like, I've got to get some fresh air. It was probably 100 degrees outside, but anything was fresh air compared to what I was feeling. And I was about to be on the receiving end of a good old-fashioned come-to-Jesus meeting, literally. The Lord was about to interrogate me, and he was not happy with my rebellious attitude. And I felt like Job on the receiving end of rapid-fire questions from God Almighty. Mm. Who is the Lord of your life? Who are you to determine what your future holds? What if I'm calling you to birth an end-time prophet to save the lives of many, like Joseph? Who is the servant and who is the master in this relationship? My head was spinning and my body was literally growing weak under the weight of the intensity. And I'm kind of in this wooded area. I can hear voices off in the distance and I'm thinking... Y'all are going to find me dead in the woods. <laughs> later, And they found her three days later. <laughs> just sprawled out in the sand. And as you would expect, the Lord didn't drop it yet again. He kept bringing up, I was to bear a child with a Joseph anointing. And seven was a critical number in Joseph's life. So that number kept popping up everywhere. Seven. And 14, double the, double the Joseph anointing. I saw sevens and fourteens 
everywhere. I mean, everywhere. They popped up just in the funkiest places, everywhere, all the time. And there was that constant stirring of the Holy Spirit, too, saying, um, this, is, this is my, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. So I relented, and my thought was that, and I told Amy this at the time, I said, as busy as I am now with these two little ones, and, you know, all the other stuff, um, you guys are never going to see me again if I have another baby. <laughs> So I found out I was pregnant in November 2013, and the due date was 7 14 14. Joseph anointing and double Joseph anointing and double Joseph anointing. So I have to say that the due date bolstered my confidence in what the Lord was saying and kept me from being so jittery. And I determined at that point that his name would be Joseph. And I began bleeding the day after Abby Kate's second birthday. I went to the doctor's office the next day, and there was no heartbeat. But because it was so close to Christmas, Dr. Love, which really is his name, Dr. Love, <laughs> was not readily available, and a surgical procedure would not easily be procured. Now, letting nature take its course is not pleasant, and I strongly preferred the two miscarriages I had had with medical intervention. Strongly preferred it. But the hand of the Lord was so evident in this small detail, which I found out later, was not a small detail at all. I went home waiting for the time my body would begin delivery, and it happened a few days later. Philip was at my side, holding my hand as the process unfolded, and we got an unbelievable shock. I was granted a blessed privilege I did not get with all the others. Now, I don't want to go into graphic detail, but when you miscarry, you do not have an intact baby, typically. Miscarriages are messy, and you don't, it's not like, oh, there's the baby. But Joseph was whole and entire. And we held him in the palm of our hand. And in that moment, I wasn't just holding Joseph, I knew I was holding all 11 of those babies. And there he was, his little hands, his little feet, his little face. The Lord gave me a profound and undeserved gift. In that moment, Philip and I wept together and held him and held him. And let me tell you, holding him was excruciating and it was beautiful all at the same time, like the cross. The cross is excruciating and beautiful. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I like the resurrection part of that verse. I don't like the sufferings part. I want you to think, though, for a minute about the life of Jesus. And think about you being alive at the time of Jesus. Jesus was obviously enormously popular. Crowds were constantly pressing in around him. Always, all the time. 
But when was the time, if you lived there, when was the time that it would have been easiest to get to him? When it would have been easiest to have that one-on-one -on -one time with him? When did he yearn for human company and did not have it? In the garden. In his, in his agony in the garden. All of our sufferings are like that. We're joining him in the garden. And when we reconcile ourselves to him, even in the midst of pain, we join him in the garden in a time that we can fellowship with him there. And you've noticed in scripture that the wounds of Christ did not disappear in his resurrection, the wounds were still there. Yeah. The hymn, one of my favorites in hymns is crowned with many crowns. Rich wounds, yet visible above. Say it, Amy. In beauty. glorified. You see, I think the wounds that we bear, the sufferings that we endure in this life, will be jewels that we wear for all eternity. For all eternity. Sharing in his sufferings creates a depth of fellowship as painful as it is that cannot be found in any other place. How do we reconcile to God through suffering? And this is, this is to me a boiled down, very distilled kind of definition of reconciliation in general. But particularly with the Lord, how do we reconcile? We take a deliberate, sometimes very difficult, a deliberate step towards him. It is saying, Jesus, I trust in you. Not necessarily Jesus. I understand completely. <laughs> For those of you who have kids, you know that they don't, a lot of times when they get hurt, you know, there's a splinter or there's a scrape. There's something that you're going to have to put the hydrogen peroxide or whatever on. They don't trust, they don't trust you with the pain. Because it hurts sometimes to get healing, to move towards healing. And um, that can be painful as a parent. I've had many times where I was crying with the children, you know. And I think that's what the Lord does. Healing is sometimes not easy. But when we trust the Lord for healing or for entering into those hard places, choosing to enter into those hard places, the pain reaches Him too. So, I want, I want to say that I would like to invite each of you to make that step today. I feel like there are some people here that are in seasons of suffering, or have been in seasons of suffering, and I would invite you to just step towards the Lord, where maybe you've kind of covered it up, or whatever that is. Maybe it's submitting to something the Lord is calling you to do that's, that's hard. Let the Lord deal with those areas in your life. And I, I just, I, this is not what we normally do here, but I just want to speak to you too. And I want to say you guys have had a lot in your life. 
And you are a beautiful testimony of how the Lord sustains his people and your faithfulness to the Lord and your choice. God gives us grace, but we also make a choice. And your choosing to remain faithful to the Lord is a beautiful testimony to all of us. And I could say that about everybody in the room. But I feel like the Lord wants me to particularly say that to you. So to wrap up, I want to share one more story, if, if you can handle me for one more story. In October of 2014, so this is not that long ago, I was at a retreat in Houston, and the speaker was leading us in the Ignatian exercises, which if you're not Catholic, you may not know what that is, but it's designed to bring you to a place of spiritual death. De death. <laughs> I did not mean to say that. Spiritual death by encountering the Lord through the Gospels and what the exercises intend to do to carry you to a place of deep intimacy with the Lord. And one of the things that these exercises do is block, show you the blockages to that intimacy. And that's a very simplified version, but for the sake of right now. So while I was on the retreat, I, I hit up against this wall. And the retreat master, Father Marty, said, you know, if we keep our hearts open after the retreat, then the Lord will show us, you know, in the days ahead what, what's going on. So I went home, and I was asking the Lord about this. And I felt him direct me to the journal, this journal that I read out of, which is like, it's all bright and nice. It's a pretty dark. <laughs> it's a pretty dark period in my life. I'm like, I don't want to read that again. Is this the blockage, Lord? How many times have I gotten prayer for the miscarriages? I don't want to relive all of that again. You know, all that resistance that comes up. You know, covering up my women. So I did against my against what I wanted to do. So I, I was not expecting this, but something happened when I looked back. And this beautifully meshes, I think, with the Patterns and Purpose Retreat. is looking back in your life, your times even of hardship. I recognized that the Lord sustained me. There were journal entries besides all the dark, depressing, you know, stuff. There were little glimmers of light. And maybe you could see this. I'm a horrible journaler. Um, but, you know, there would be these little glimmers of light. And I'm thinking, Lord, your grace was there. I felt all of this dryness, I felt all of this darkness, but now looking back, I can see that your grace was there. Um, so just as a shameless marketing plug, consider patterns and purpose your <laughs> Anyway, so back to my, everyone to wrap up for you. So I felt this swell of gratitude in my heart, and I, I told the Lord, you know, Lord, I wish I could process this, bless you, I wish I could process through that season with someone, like a spiritual director or counselor, not because I want to spill my guts or whatever like I'm doing today, but because I want to talk about the faithfulness of God the whole time. And this is just, God talks to me like this sometimes, it's kind of this sense of humor thing. I felt the Lord immediately say, well, why don't we do that now? I'll tell you what, I'll be the counselor. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It was almost like he winked. It was kind of funny. <laughs> the Lord does have a sense of humor. And so I, I, and I thought, uh, how do you answer this? And I finally said, okay. <laughs> so the Lord said, <clears throat> it was kind of this, and this is how it's speaking to my heart. So, you know, 
The Lord said, so, when did this start? Well, <laughs> in 2003, you told me to have a fifth baby. And the Lord said, and how did you respond? And I immediately, I immediately knew what he wanted me to say, and I could not bring myself to say it for the longest time. I sat in silence for a long time. Then I finally blurted out, I obeyed you. I sat in my chair and wept and wept and wept. And I was surprised because I did not know this was an issue. I did not realize that I was carrying shame and guilt about not always having my emotions in the game, about not always being gung-ho for what was going on. And here is where I want to leave you today. I would like for each of us to take a few minutes. I don't know if you want to get your guitar. I would like for us to each take a few minutes before the Lord, just individually. Now, I love prayer teams. I love being on prayer teams. But I feel like the Lord wants to meet us one-on-one -on -one here. It's like, it's like uh, the counselor saying to each one of you, I'll tell you what, I'll be the counselor. <laughs> but I feel like the Lord wants to speak to each one of you. And I want to invite you again to take that deliberate step forward to the Lord. And for people in here, it's going to mean as many different things as there are people in the room. But I just wanted to invite us to have that time before the Lord. Because this is a way of reconciling through our sufferings. And if you're not feeling suffering or something, that's okay. We can always reconcile more. Reconciling is growing closer and closer to the Lord. And so whatever that looks like for you today, I want to invite you to take the time and listen. Just we're gonna just I would invite you to close your eyes and just listen to what the Lord would say to you. So Holy Spirit, come. Yes, Jesus. Father, I thank you that each person in here is a dear child of yours. Father, I thank you that you know each of us by name, and you know our story, Lord. Our story is intertwined with your story. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would reveal our hearts, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. We are weak, but your word says that when we're weak, we are strong, because we lean on your strength, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit. And while Philip plays and sings over us, I just invite you to be in that place before the Lord and listen and respond.
Taking my sin, my cross, my shame Rising again, I bless your name You are my all in all When I fall down, you pick me up When I am dry, you fill my cup You are my all in
So, thank you. And there's more <laughs> today. So what we're going to do is take a quick break. Um, it's about 25 minutes after. Let's be back at 40 minutes after the hours or 20 minutes before noon. And we're going to have a time of prayer then. And we're going to be, what a part of the prayer time, we're going to be reading from the Bible. And so either have your Bible or there's Bibles scattered around the room. Just grab one and have it ready. Um, and be back here at 1140. All right, let's regather. One of the things that we try to do on our retreats is to have a schedule. So we don't always, we don't always tell you what it is. <laughs> but we also always have, try to have flexibility to let the Holy Spirit interrupt us. Uh, this is one of those cases. Um, John, why don't you come on up? Uh, so I had a sense that John John Boyle is going to come speak. This is, I think, the first retreat out of Carson Lickensile you've been on. And we normally don't let our first-time guests speak. <laughs> but John has a history with us, and he's a prophet in our midst. And so we want to bless you, John, as a prophet in our midst honor you and welcome you and ask you to bring us the word of the Lord in the form of cake. <laughs> I like that word. I was joking with Karen about, I think, well, let them eat cake anyway about coming here and here. Brought cake, but see, is really, I was also, I was counting on John Wall and Diane's anointing to bring cake. So God confirmed this because, you know, to honor them, to honor y'all. And sure enough, Diane brought a cake, just like the Holy Spirit had indicated. So Thomas said, you know, we should, we should come back at 1140. And my name is John. So John 1140 is, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Ten years ago, in Valentine's Day, God gave you a gift that did not and today you've made it a gift to this community to join together with you in Christ's suffering inside of you and on the cross and you pointed us to Jesus on the cross I got permission from Philip to 
see that you're busy consoling the suffering. If it's okay, Thomas, I had this incredible vision. It's okay to shoot. So, when Philip would finish up the singing, almost done, I saw heaven open, which I believe, and I saw these people, like Thomas is putting chairs around, they were all lined up as far as the eye could see. And I said, Lord, who are these? And he said, these are the aborted. These are the miscarried. These are the stillborn. There was millions and millions, and they all were coming to listen to your talk. <laughs> Up in heaven, there were all these straight rows further than the eye could see. They circled all around heaven. And... I saw Jesus on his throne, and my daughter Adelaide, Sarah, and my three sons, and God said, sit right here, come up here, and see it from our perspective. And then I saw the Father above being glorified. I saw the Holy Spirit. And then right in the middle of everything, I saw 11 and guess who is sitting in the love and chair? And and as Philip and the singing was ending, there was these glass ceiling that was covering them and everything. But as soon as as Philip, as we were kind of singing like in tongues and stuff, I saw the glass fall down so that I could hear them and they could hear us. And then I saw Joseph James, and he got up from his chair, and he danced on top of the heads of each of your children. He dropped a purple crown on the head of each one. And he sat back down. And then the next child did the same. And they were doing that as you were finishing up. So we have a double cake, though, this double prophetic anointing. And God said, you know, sharing your suffering and everything is opening doors to all of us. And so, as Jill Austin said, you are pregnant with the purposes of God. Mm -hmm. You are pregnant with the purposes of God. It's a double cake because it's a double gift that on Valentine's, the tradition has been that Ahab, God gives a special gift. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a double blessing in your opening heaven for all of us. See the sufferings of Jesus on the cross inside you and in all of us. And he's raising up a prophetess in Amy, and she has given birth to a prophetic child spiritually called Sicily? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said yes. Who else said yes in the Bible? Be it done unto me according to your word. So we have our prophetic twin sisters here. Thank you, John.
good thing about beautiful thing about prophetic words is you don't have to understand them <laughs> immediately. Just, just let the Lord speak to you over time. Over time.